This episode is sponsored by Unpacked's new podcast, Homeland. Ten stories, one Israel. All right, picture this, guys. Israel, 2022. A crowded bus breaks down on the side of a desert highway. Who's sitting next to you, and what secret will they reveal? The newest podcast from Unpacked, Homeland, 10 Stories, One Israel, will keep you on the edge of your seat as each passenger's story unfolds. Meet the Russian immigrant who escaped the Soviet Union and the Jerusalem native whose family traces back over 400 years. Each week, you'll meet a new character whose story will take you for a ride. So get on the bus, grab a window seat, and settle in for Homeland, 10 Stories, One Israel, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, we just want to talk a bit about how you can support the show. That's right. We recently opened a brand new Patreon account, and this is your opportunity to help and support the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We have a tier for every pocket. So whatever you can spare, uh, you can help us out. And if you can't spare, we also appreciate. Keep listening, keep tuning in. But if but you, you have should. a few, yeah, if you have, if you got a few shekels lying around, you might throw them our way. Um, we really appreciate it. It would help us keep, you know, doing what we're doing every week and putting out content. And you'll get amazing perks, amazing prices and bonuses. So if you can spare it, go to patreon.com slash 2NJB. Every sum helps and you can support the show. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you. The next to last time I was shot out of a cannon, the bus driver who wanted to be God. Suddenly, a knock on the door. Just the titles of these short stories are enough to make your literary mouth water. Edgar Carrot certainly has a knack for doing just that. And now, with a long career of award-winning short stories, books, comics, graphic novels, children's books, and even short and feature films all under his belt, Edgar Carrot finally has decided to tackle the hardest challenge of all. Substack. Carrot has been posting to his new Substack, Alphabet Soup, once a week for the last year. As Carrot puts it, super short, weird stories, poems, thoughts about writing, ideas for screenplays, they all swirl around in my Alphabet Soup pot. Carrot has won many, many awards, among which the Knight Medallion for Literature in France, his debut feature film Jellyfish, which he co-created with his wife, Shira Geffen, was awarded the coveted Camera d'Or Prize at the Cannes Film Festival. We are super, super thrilled to be joined today for the second time by the endlessly talented Edgar Carrot. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. Hi. You know, you know, it's like for the first time it was a mystery, but now I just came because I knew it was going to be fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. And people are invited to episode, episode 70. 70, 70, 70 76? 70, 70, I think, yes. Wow, it was like, what, four and a half years ago? Yeah. yeah, it's been a long time. Many things happened. Um, and another thing that's not mentioned here, there is a joke. We, we both went to film school and that there's this thing in Israel where like the default for a student for a student in in film school here in Israel, they do uh, an adaptation of your one of your stories, right? You still get. Yeah, it's, it's like a circumcision for <laughs> Jews. <laughs> <laughs> It's painful, you know, but you just have to do it, you know, if is you it, want to is graduate. It, is it more painful for them or for you? Is the question. I know. No, I think for me, as a as a writer, 
the, the things that the greatest compliment or the things that makes me happiest is if somebody wants to adapt my work. Yeah, but I mean, these are film students. Most of them must make crap adaptations. Uh, no? Well, uh, uh, we've been there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of them, you know, I don't like, some of them I like more. But for me, there is something about the, those adaptations of short stories that it's basically like saying, uh, okay, like, I know I, I see people reading my stories, but I don't know what they have in their mind or what they what they feel. And it's nice to to see what this intelligent, uh, sensitive gentleman thought. And it's also interesting to see what this dumb guy <laughs> thought when he read my story. And really, and, and I'm saying it not in a kind of like a, I want to pick a fight kind of way. It just for the fact that the, that, the, that the writing is kind of a a, a one sided dialogue. And and I think that 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 you know even when you publish a book and I don't know you can get a review here or there it can become a bestseller you really don't know if people get it or get it in a different way or see things that you didn't even know that existed in your in your story and and I think that that it's, it's really there's something beautiful about this kind of meeting point of kind of rediscovering stuff. Uh, in things that came out of your mind and just seeing people imagining it differently or making even making it better getting getting that feedback i I mean that's that's also very much true i guess right now for with the Substack that you're writing right yeah yeah, i i I wanted to do this newsletter uh, i think at the height of the covid because i realized that that uh, i think all the time i i'm kind of i live under this self-pretense that I'm a free spirit and I do whatever I want and and the and what what happened was that when the corona started I realized that that without those kind of usual interactions that I have readings traveling you know uh, meeting authors on stages and stuff that, that basically make me feel as if I'm part of this world. There is something about writing and even publishing that feels a little bit like a, a shouting into a well. <laughs> you know, it's really like you don't even know if anybody hears you. And the good thing with the, with the newsletter is that first, first of all, it made me write, you know, because uh, you, you, it's a trick that my, my father, my late father taught me. He used to uh, he used to uh, swim, and at some age he said that he felt that he doesn't have more energies or uh, discipline uh, to keep doing uh, his exercise. So he started playing tennis, and I said to him, "What's the difference?" And he said, "You know, because when uh, you swim and you, and you don't feel like going to the swimming pool, it's okay. But when you don't go." To the tennis court, there is a guy that's calling you and say, "Hey, you asshole! You know I've been waiting for you for 20 minutes." So I think that that when you do a newsletter, maybe you feel the same, you know, about the podcast. It creates some kind of a a form or a format or a commitment that makes you work. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, the fact that I started doing newsletter, it kind of allowed me even to kind of dive into my hard disk and pick up all kinds of things. They say, "Ah, no, this isn't good enough for the book, or this is too weird for the book." But uh, it's not too weird for a newsletter, and uh, and there, there were also all kinds of dialogues uh, created. For example, uh, people who who subscribed to the newsletters started offering me to illustrate the newsletter, 
And then I have all kinds of readers that, you know, from time to time, I say to them, hey, you know, I, how, what do you think about this story? And then they do something and they send it to me. And I did this thing that was called the matchbook stories that I kind of stopped doing it just because I, or I'm being lazy. But it was really great that I asked people to give me a, a starting point for a story, which could be like an, a... A premise, a, a sentence, a description, or something, a, a, a picture, a photo, something that they think that is inspiring. And the deal is that uh, once a month, like they give all those ideas, I, I, once a month I sit down and try to write a story from one of them. And whatever kind of comes out, I publish it and I dedicate it to the person who inspired me. Wow, wow. that's really uh, cool. And, and I actually, up till now, I, I've written a free, real good, real good stories that started from newsletters. It can be a whole book from that concept. Yeah, yeah, but the truth is, the truth is that it's tougher mm -hmm. uh, in many ways. And kind of, I, uh, and then in the past few months, I kind of kept all kind. I found all kinds of excuses not to do right, it. Right, right, right. Wow. Do you, do you feel like age um, affects your stories? Well, I think, you know, I think that the, my stories are a little bit like kind of an x-ray of me in one way or another. And I think that age affects me. So in a roundabout way, it affects the story. And and I think that, that uh, let's say, if even up to 10 years ago, I, w I would be this kind of a, a, a closet a smart ass, you know, like this kind of guy that acts, tries to act humble because this is what is expected, but says, I, I know what's going on and I know what's going to happen and these guys are not going to make it and, you know, and the dollar is going to crash. And pretentious, essentially. I, I, I wouldn't even... It, it could be pretentious, but I'm saying at the same time, somebody who has a feeling of... Uh, hubris. Uh, it's uh, hubris, but I'm saying <laughs> a, a feeling of understanding. Throw out another word. <laughs> no, you vain. You guys, you <laughs> it's want It's like to, a Mad Lib with Edgar Carrot. You want okay. <laughs> you want to insult me, and I just want to talk about the experience. No, so so no, it's not. I, I'm saying it's this idea of moving from a position where I really f felt as if I got it. I really felt it like okay. I feel feel we should go there. To to these feelings that you look at the in at the word and the word kind of build di distance from you and it kind of makes less and less sense and i feel that you know that i really live in a, a in a point of time that is both most very exciting and interesting but uh, but i feel that we're living in very dark times you know in really? a sense yeah it's really it's like it's you know the people who lived in the dark ages they didn't know it was the dark ages and i, I you know, it just felt that we're just kind of somewhere in the history, right? Yeah. And but but somebody named the Dark Ages. I have a feeling that when people will look at this period of time, they will have things that are not nice to say about us. Really? But isn't it like the best time to be alive in the history of mankind? Uh, I think that the nineties were the best time. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no no it's it's what, what i feel it, i like it, that you didn't go so far back as like the renaissance yeah. the 90s 90s yeah for like how long for like two years yeah. <laughs> like the whole decade yeah the 90s were the best no it's, a, it's, a, it's just it's just this this kind of feeling uh, I, I'm, I'm gonna say like you know i'm gonna stutter something that won't make any sense but it's okay yeah uh, so 
I think uh, I was uh, active in the social protests mm-hmm. that were, I think, more than 10 years ago, about 12 years ago. And, and the feeling that was around those social protests, uh, that there were many people who were together because they had this optimism, this belief that, you know, that people want to be good and the system wants to change and things are going to get better. And I felt, in a sense, that this was a spirit that it was, was easy to find. But I think that, that today, if you look at the activism, it's not like a building a tents in Rothschild and then making lectures with a megaphone explaining to people uh, how the, the country's budget is being split and the, how, why do, do rich people pay less taxes than poor ones. But it's more than like, I don't know, like uh, shaming or insulting or protesting in front of a house of somebody that you don't like, you know. And it's all about more about getting even. It's really this idea that uh, we don't want to make the world a better place, but we want those fuckers to pay, you know. And and, uh, in this kind of, this climate... Like you have to oppose... Instead of offering solution, it's just about hating something else and without... Yeah, and it could be, you know, Trump or Netanyahu or left-wingers or Arabs or yeah. religious people or secular people. But, but What's the alternative you're offering, though, is what you're saying? It's not even the, the alternative. It's, I'm saying, what does it mean? It's like, look, like when we were kids, I bet you grew up somewhere civilized, okay? But... but uh, but when I was in uh, Alabama, Alabama, yeah. Alabama. Okay, so yeah. you you're gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> so when 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 you're a kid, and another kid, I don't know, another kid come to the to the uh, sports court and take your soccer ball, then what do you say? You say, "Give me the ball! Come on, give me back the ball! Come on, it's my ball! You know, give me the ball! You know." A moment after he takes a nail and puck, punctures your ball, you probably punch him. And when you, when you punch somebody or when you go and tell the principal that he did it, what it encapsulates uh, uh, is the fact that you know you're not going to get your ball back. And I feel that I grew up in a time where we didn't have the ball, but we wanted it back. And now we live in a time that we know we're never going to get the ball back. We just want to get even. Didn't you have the ball for a year just now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, so, so, so for me, it's something that I totally associate with social media. You know, I mm-hmm. totally associate with the fact that we are, we are all communicating through a medium that, uh, that if you're uh, aggressive or vindictive or extreme, then it's going to be your friend. And if you want to be uh, optimistic and glary-eyed and a little bit obscure or ambiguous or confused, then you're going to sink to the bottom. And I'm saying and in this kind of gladiator, gladiator ring, you know, in this Coliseum, in the end, w- the place we're going to, I don't think it's a good place, you know. And, and for me, when I look, you know, I just wrote a piece... Uh, about the rush disturbing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, I i wrote something about about the idea of how an artist feels in this age and 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 again you know when i began to write the idea was that the the world was a, a, a dangerous place where everything you do has consequences you know it's like i mean if i uh, 
uh, if I say, I don't know, if you say Alabama, ah, yeah, okay. Rednecks. Rednecks, then, you know, then I might offend Ethan and he'll cry or punch me or something. It has consequences. But the idea is that when you write a story, you enter this lab where you explore your emotion and feelings and the most confusing thing about your being and what you know that it won't have consequences because let's say if I write a story and in the story a guy asks another guy Alabama are you a redneck and the other guy will cry then it's just a story because that other guy unlike Ethan doesn't exist you know so it's this kind of protective space padded cell place where we can think and act out things and at the same time uh, you know we uh, uh, admit things that are wrong or I don't know flow throw into the air something that we don't even know what it is and they uh, and I feel that uh, we are living here now in a, in a time that uh, is so controlled and so confining you know it's like I, if I want to write a, a series for Netflix then please be aware don't make the lead uh, a white man You know, yeah. if, if possible, a woman and a minority or... Or trans, even better. Or trans, yeah. So, yes. so so I'm saying, hey, but this is really like, this is like, this is the sand where I build my castle. I want to build one that will look this way. Why? Not to mention, if you're thin, you can't write a fat character because... If you're thin, you can't write a, a fat character. But, 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 <laughs> but no, but, but, but I'm, I'm saying, you know, the, the amount of ridiculousness that, that you have to deal with as an artist, for example... Let's say if I want to do a film, a fiddler on the roof, and I want Denzel Washington to play uh, Tuvia. Yeah. Yeah. Then, fun. <laughs> then no, then, you know, they're going to Jew face me, you know, they're going to they say no, but you know, but you can't have somebody who's not Jewish playing a Jew. And I say, why? It's called playing, you know, it's, yeah. he's playing. that he's a Jew. He's not really a Jew, he's Denzel Washington, but he's playing that he's a Jew. I actually had, je- I, I actually had this, uh, a, I'll call it a 360 experience. Yeah. Uh, it's 180 and then again 180 in West End. I went to see the Harry Potter play. Yeah. And if guys, if you don't know, there's a, a play, it's, it's, um, It's, it was written by J.K. Rowling and it takes place like 20 years after the stories of Harry Potter and it's about the children of, uh, of uh, Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron and they, the, the, the Hermione character is black. <laughs> and it bothered me, not because, she, I, just because the, con- like, Hermione... Because you imagine this character for many years. It wasn't she was depicted as as a white character she was never a, a black character yeah so you do it just to make a point for me it's it's it it, it, it disconnects me from you know I, i I only think about that instead no, of I, concentrating I, I, on the story so so this is on one level but I, what I can say on another level that I really think you know I'm saying if you look at it a uh, it's as if let's say uh, I'm From an airline company and I say guys you know we seem to have a problem with our planes you know and they, we crashed two of them this <laughs> week so I really really want you to be aware and when we're on flight don't put in the entertainment system any uh, movies with plane crashes because you know it will get people stressed yeah 
And I say, you know, how about you take this energy and fix the plane? You know, you know, show me whatever movie you want. Yeah. The movies are not real, but how about you fix the plane? So I'm saying that, you know, in the bottom line, I go and I see, let's say, in Netflix, they have this series, The Chair. The Chair. Yeah, it's, it's about a department of, I think, history or literature or arts. Okay. Uh, mm. <coughs> yeah, in yeah, the yeah. US. It's a very good series. Now, in the With series, the Asian actress, right? Who's the yeah, chair of the department. So, so the chair of the department, she's Korean. Yeah. Uh, there is her right hand or the person who really works and smart and does things. Uh, she's another woman who's Afro-American. Mm. Uh, uh, there are white men who are old, dumb, and try to bother her all the time. And except for one white man that who is actually smart, but he's a, a, an alcoholic who gets into trouble. And there are white women that are really bad, but not as bad as the white men, but they're not as good as the minority women. <laughs> and I know it's really, really like, you know, it, it's, it, it's mathematical, you know, it's really, and the, there's a Netflix, maybe Netflix send you a, you know, a the algorithm. sheet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what happened was that like, I, 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 it's true. Like I saw like a couple of the episodes and like I, said, I was really like into it. And I was thinking about it while I was uh, taking a train ride to my literature department, you know, which is by very liberal, very open-minded, but somehow the head of it is not a, a Korean woman, but is a Ashkenazi man, you know? Privileged even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, and the, the thing is, they say, oh, wow, in the TV, actually, it looked more pluralistic than, uh, uh, you know? So, so it's this kind of idea is as if like, Like Eitan is at home and, uh, uh, and he can't be bothered uh, 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 to feed this girl. He says, to, not now, I'm feeding the Tamaguchi, you know? I'm feeding yeah, the Tamaguchi. Yeah. Leave the kid in the car. Leave in the, it's, or, it's, or I'm watching a YouTube video about how to take care of your children. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't feed you right no, now. No, but, but I think that Tamaguchi is appropriate as, as an example because the fact is, That Only if you grew up in the 90s. <laughs> the rest of the yeah, other people have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's those toys where you have all kinds of chores and you have to f do all kinds of stuff. Feed that, them. And yeah, they and all died <laughs> under a bed somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but but for, for me, this, the idea is that there is something that is real and that there is something that is not real. And the things that is real we should deal with and the things that is not real... Uh, It's, it's because it's not really we can do fantasy movies we can do things people can be racist in TV series it's not okay if they're racist in the real, real world people can not pay their taxes in the, the television it's not okay if it's, it's in the real world but don't you think I mean I don't know how much time you spent in the States but don't I think the same somewhat applies to Israel don't you think that it's a bit exaggerated the Meaning the 60s, you know, Martin Luther King was really fighting something. And today it feels like they're so much more militaristic and militant and things are so much better. But, 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 but that's the idea. I think that, the, that the, the militaristic part of it or the aggressive part of it or the violent part of it is something that goes uh, beyond uh, one point of view or another. It's really, I'm saying it's the subtext, you know, it's as if like, I don't know if uh, they used to do debate sitting and then at some years they say, no, they do debate standing. So I can advocate, uh, you know, liberal f f thoughts. I can advocate uh, 
fascist ideas, but the idea is that I'm standing. And today everybody's standing. And what I want to say is that this kind of vindictiveness and the, uh, this kind of uh, my way or the highway is something that, that, you know, it goes all the way from right to left, you know. And, and what happens is that everybody tries to kind of create his, his uh, a little kingdom and, and create it in his own image without caring about the fact that there are people there who don't think like him. And this is how you see in the US, I don't know, uh, the attack uh, on the capital, you know, which is something that you say, why didn't it happen before? And then you say, ah, it's right-winger things. But then you see uh, uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock in... Oscar, this is not a this Trump is, voters. Yeah, this is not this is not this is not the the, the right wing thing. These are the liberal left wingers mm-hmm. punching each other, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, and when you see, I don't know, it doesn't matter if it's a it's a Me Too movie or against a, a I don't know global warming or whatever it is. The, the narrative is really a, this call for action. And this call for action basically fueled by your anger at people who didn't do things the way you wanted to. And this idea of kind of being uh, angered and uh, talking about that and boycotting somebody or writing something nasty for him on his Instagram page or whatever, it's really like it, it be- became almost a pastime for us. You know, it's really like... But violence as a hobby. It, it's, and also this kind of idea that there is a system that uh, by uh, uh, asking you to take sides kind of elevates you, makes you more important. It's really, you know, so many people talk to me, talk to me about uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Yeah, Say, she was a... just here, <laughs> Amber, <laughs> in Tel Aviv. A week ago. Yeah. <laughs> did, did she come to your podcast? She bought, no, no, but she bought uh, books in a second ha- secondhand shop. So ah. our kind of a girl, yeah. So, uh, so got Amber so, Heard alerts. Amber alerts. <laughs> so people would say to me, like, uh, so are you a Johnny guy or an Amber guy? <laughs> no, I say, <laughs> now here's the story of of a, a movie star that for years I didn't see movies that I enjoyed, and f- of somebody who appeared in a bit of movies but is not a part of my curriculum, that apparently they had a, a difficult marriage, and the question is, do I support the guy who cheated in bed to spite her, or do no, I it's su- the other way around? Oh, oh, ah, she cheated she, she in bed. Uh, okay, and no, he no. was violent. Uh, yeah, but but he wasn't really vi- violent. I don't know. But yeah. but I'm saying, so he was drunk, drunk and on drugs and cursed her, and she cheated in bed and had sex with Elon Musk. <laughs> so so I'm saying, like, w- w- what am I? Like, you know, what am I, Jerry Springer? Like, wh- why? <laughs> Why are you guys coming to me and asking me if I'm a Johnny guy or an Amber guy? There are people who don't interest me and who has a dispute. And those disputes before reality was, uh, shows were invented were decided in court by people who knew what happened, you know. But now it's really like, it's a, you can see, I don't know, we, when you see a movie like uh, Alan versus Pharaoh, yeah? So I'm saying, what am I? Like a committee or something? So... <laughs> the coach dis- decided this, and then they say this, and then they say this, and then they say, what do you think? Are you going to see Woody Allen movie again? And I say, why am I so important? Am I Thanos? You know, <laughs> am I about to destroy the universe? When I see something, I see a movie. So you're a Marvel guy. 
I'm yeah. A, I'm a... That's why you don't like Ember Heart because you haven't watched Aquaman. It's DC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Aqu- Aquaman. There's something about Aquaman that uh, even when I read comics, I had a problem with this guy. It's really what, like... What was the problem? Because uh, most of the stories, like he's in New York, kind of, <laughs> kind of having punch fights with people and he says, uh, if we were in the o- ocean, I would kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think about the true crime documentaries that's also uh so it's interesting because because you know again i i think that I, i'm i come here as the grumpy old guy you know <laughs> you're the two nice jewish boys and i'm your grumpy old uncle now what what i think what i think with back problems <laughs> with back problems <laughs> The, the thing is that when I have a dialogue with art, both as a creator or somebody who consumes it, what I like to, to do is to leave something open-ended, not to know exactly where it goes or what I'm going to get from it. Now, in the Netflix age, where uh, shows are picked by the, by, the, by the synopsis or the short things that they have explaining the, the show, you know, that this is really the criteria of choosing things where... where children of my friends, they watch shows on double speed, you know, because they don't have the patience to see the, the, uh, the show. So, so, so I'm, I, feel, I feel that there is something uh, tainted, you know, in the, in the entire uh, attitude that, that we have toward the, uh, which shows we want to see, what we want to get in them. And I feel that, that it created some kind of a, a, an effect as if like shows have... have to have some kind of a an end game you know i want to sh- see sh- shows about a uh, uh, mexican immigrants uh, that will elevate me i want to see a show a show about the uh, poor people that will make me feel bad i want to see something about global warming that will keep me awake at night because i feel that my children will die but the idea is that when you open a book when you see a movie you say i I don't know. I'm giving this guy a chance. Let's go. Let's see what's going on. I don't know. Maybe it's a comedy. Maybe it's a, a drama. And, and the, these courses are the courses that takes you uh, to the more interesting and exciting places. And I think that, 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 that today, uh, I don't even remember which show you were talking about. True crime. True, true crime. crime documentaries. Ah, true crime. So true crime documentaries. Here, I give an example. I, I saw two documentaries. Two, two tra- crime documentaries last month. Okay. One of them was amazing. One of them was crap. Of course, the one that was crap is very, very popular. Okay. Uh, it's called The Girl in the Picture. You s- it's a Netflix hit. Okay. Mm. Now, you don't It have to see familiar. the movie. You yeah. don't have to see the movie. I'll tell you the movie. I'll save you time. <laughs> a, a guy like who's an older guy with a younger woman, he's a disgusting guy. old man she's a wonderfully cheerful and positive young woman they they come to a town they're a couple uh, at some st- stage you start pimping her and uh, and then uh, her girlfriend gets murdered and she gets murdered and this guy disappears and then we discover that he was actually her stepfather and he raised her and groomed her to be his girl and she gave her Uh, him a child and he murdered the child this is the movie okay so in the bottom line you say okay here's a horrible guy but actually he's a horrible in a more original way than most he didn't only kill her he 
he did horrible things to her since she was a child. And hey, you know, third act, he even shot a, a young child in the back of his head. You got your money worth, you know, go home. And for me, I say, what experience did I have? Like people said, okay, life can be evil. We can look at evil as outsider. And they, uh, we documented something for you. You know, next week we have a... A guy who tortured the donkey and, uh, you know, and shot the blind woman in her left knee. Like, okay, what did I get from it? And, and at the same month, I saw an HBO series that has the worst name in the world. It's called Mind Over Murder. Okay. It's really, really crappy name, Mind Over Murder. <laughs> Mind Over Murder, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's one of the best, best crime shows I've ever seen. Okay. And the interesting thing about it, it's really like, I want this yeah, one. No spoiler. This one I won't spoil, but but I'm saying that here it's like it begins that there are, there's a group of uh, six people, young, white, trash, drunk, ta ta ta, that hardly kind of knew each other, but they found themselves one night kind of ganging on this elderly woman they, that they allegedly raped and killed her. This is the beginning of the. <clears throat> the series, but the, but the, but the series is really not about this. It's really about a, a how we indoctrinate ourselves to believe in things, even if they are not based in life. How, in many ways, uh, victims and victimizers are the same. How, when something wrong is being done, everybody's hurt. Uh, how uh, uh, we we like to. Uh, to take to hold a narrative that sounds authoritative to us, uh, even if there are ways for us to get to the truth ourselves, but we will not go there because we see a guy who talks in a deep voice and we say we don't have to check check the file. You're okay. And basically, I saw this. It 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 kind of it said something about the world, about the universe, about human beings. And yes, there was a 68 woman year old woman that was brutally murdered and raped. But it wasn't about that, you know. It was about about us. It's about uh, humanity. Humanity. What do we remember? What do we want to forget? How experience changes in ways that we can we can be unchanged. And I'm saying that, that you know you can see those kind of things uh, just from the way that a film filmmaker tackles the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, when, when there is an interview with a guy, he's really a side character. He's not one of the six. But basically, that you know, they tell you, ah, uh, uh, we went to this guy, and, to this place, and he says, how about you call this guy out and say to him, hey, can you help me with your car? And when you come to help me with your car, I'll hit, hit him on the head many times with a crowbar and we take his money. And the guy comes out and the guy with the plan hits him on a crowbar and take his money and the guy become crippled and he's in a wheelchair and he can't go anymore. And then they interview the guy. And they, they will hit him with the crowbar. And when they interviewed the guy, they said to him, you know, we asked all kinds of people. And what we discovered about this period is that you were very, very popular with girls. That basically all the girls that were in the gang, one day or another, they were your girlfriend at some stage. While all the other guys, they were trying to call them, but somehow they went with you. Do, do, you, have, do you know why they went with you? And he kind of takes the time and he thinks... And he says, you know, I think that the, 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 thing, the reason that they went with me was because I'm easygoing. 
you know, because you know, when you're in this age, you always want, you like confrontation. And with me, you know, whatever you say, hey man, whatever you say, you go, you know, I never, you know, I, I, I don't get into conflicts. And now the, the fact is that you, you, the thing, first thing you heard about this guy is that he hit somebody with a crowbar for 50 bucks and <laughs> put him in a wheelchair. But then you hear this guy talking about himself and he explains that his motto in life is not to get into conflicts. But I guess that hitting a guy from behind with a crowbar and taking 50 bucks is not a conflict. You know, it's a massacre. You know, so, so there is something about going in these routes that you say, who are you rooting for? Because his wife says, yeah, he's a really nice guy. And when I say to him, no, we're not eating out, he stays home, you know. And you see that he tries to be nice, but there is this guy in the wheelchair and he's saying something else. So the, the, the ability of saying, even after the facts are decided, let's, not, let's acknowledge the fact that people experience things in a different way, is something that, that it's kind of, it's a, it's a, not 90s, it's 70s, 80s, 90s thing that was thrown out of the window. It's really, it's really like you want to figure out who's the bad guy, you know? It's like the subcurrents of being a person. You need to be able to approach um, those topics with a kind of naivety that maybe was more present in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. But no, I, I, I actually think that, that, that it's not a question of naivety at all. It's actually, the way that I see it, it's a question of complexity. Because let's say if I say uh, Trump he, is an ignorant... Psychopath. Lazy psychopath, you yeah. know? It's, a, it's very reductive, yeah. you know? Because it's really... Like when people say Putin is like Hitler, why is he like Hitler? He doesn't have a mustache. Yeah. He doesn't believe in fascism. You know, he actually doesn't want to conquer the world. Just four or five countries. He has no interest. That were once <laughs> theirs, <laughs> they, technically. Yeah, yeah but, but I'm saying he's really, he's a tyrant. He's yes. a sociopath. But why is he Hitler? Because it would be easier if we simplify and we say that he's Hitler. Now, what I think is, is that, that the, the idea was that when we functioned as a society, Ambiguity was something that we had to acknowledge because all the time we would uh, be queuing to get bread or do all kinds of stuff. And we understood that, you know, that uh, Eitan, you and me, we don't see things exactly the same. But today, when we live inside our Facebook feed, then there is no need for ambivalence or ambiguity. It's kind of, it, it gets in the way. And, in this, and when you uh, reach uh, uh, watch current TV series, that's the first thing that, that disappears, this, the ambiguity. I want to segue yeah. and talk about your parents a little bit. All right. Um, because I saw an interview and you told, can you tell us, let's start with your, with your father. Can you tell us about your father, who he who was and your relationship with him? Yeah, well, my dad uh, was a Holocaust survivor. What was his name? Ephraim. And Keret was a Hebrew version of the name? Yeah, of Kototsovsky, which mm. was uh, tough to pronounce. <laughs> and basically, and basically uh, he survived in the war uh, hiding in a hole in the ground. He was a local farmer that had fed them. How old was he? Uh, he was, I think he was, when the war started, 12. And uh, at some stage... Uh, Pol Polish? Polish. Mm -hmm. Some states they caught his, 
kid sister and they tortured her and they said that if she say where him and the parents are hiding they will free her but she refused and they, re- they tortured her to death she was very young but wouldn't give them up and they and they my father after the war tried to come to Israel was uh, deported by the British he joined the Irgun and his job was uh, to buy weapons for the Irgun in Europe so he would buy them from the Italian mafia so he would hang out with Italian mobsters all the time he actually had a good good Italian and he also a part of the job was to to be with them and the things that they liked the most was to ride horses so to be able to kind of negotiate and get the weapons for the Irgun uh, he learned how to ride horses and then when he came to Israel in 48 they asked him do you know anything do you have any special talents and he said I'm a very good horse rider so they say okay so you're going to be in the cavalry and we had the cavalry in 48 apparently <laughs> there was a cavalry <laughs> And my father was in the cavalry. There was even an old Haaretz uh, cover that you see him uh, riding a horse and holding a, a rifle in one of his hands, like in those kind of uh, Cowboys and Indians movies. And, uh, and he was there at 48. And af- of course, after 48, they decided to disband the cavalry because they understood it's not a good idea. But uh, except for my dad, apparently all the other people who knew how to ride the horses in Israel were not Jews. They were uh, right. Uh, 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 yeah, Druze. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bedouin. Uh, Bedouin. Yeah. Bedouin didn't serve in the army at the time, but but uh, Cherkessian. Yeah, Cherkessians. And uh, and and uh, and what happened was that when they disbanded the cavalry, he stayed with his soldiers. So so he served all his life in a in a, a base in a unit where basically I think everybody. Almost everybody was with it. Arabs. Arab, Arab Muslim. And what, how, what did he tell you about his time in, in it, Italy? Where, where did he live? He lived in a, in a town called uh, Reggio Calabria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the capital of Calabria. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the thing about it, what, what he said that... Uh, it's the toe of the boot, guys, if you want to know exactly. Ah. It's in the toe. So, uh, so uh, he... For me, he would talk about this time a lot because for him, it was the time after the war in which uh, he really discovered that, uh, that uh, not everybody wants to kill you when, if, if you're a Jew and that, uh, you know, and, uh, and that it, it, it doesn't, it, that the word is, let's say, nicer than he thought. And the, the strange thing is that he discovered the, the, the nicer word when he was hanging out with killers and Mopset, and he would say, you know, some of them were were not nice people, but compared to the Nazis, they were nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, they, it was actually day like on a daily basis interacting with Italian mob monsters, uh, mafia. Uh, uh, yeah, it was really like I mean, it's not on a daily basis that he would come to the office, but they w- but they would <laughs> meet and they would say, okay, what was this? He says, oh, I have bad news. I couldn't bring the pistols. Uh, yeah, they didn't send the money. You know this kind of. Uh, but he had to integrate with them. Yeah, yeah, and he would go to weekends with them and ride horses with them. And and I saw in an interview he he lived in a brothel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, well, this is you forgot this. It's no, a little no, no. side note. No, it's not. It's, it's actually something very, very important because many of of 
the childhood stories that that my father would tell me uh, uh, not childhood when I, when I was a kid when he would tell me the story about uh, his time in, in Italy then most of the stories uh, would take place in a brothel and they would involve pre- prostitutes and drunk people and killer uh, you know mafia people and so probably the, how old were you five <laughs> <laughs> And uh, when I would ask him, when I would ask him what, what's a prostitute, he would say, ah, this is uh, somebody who, who gets paid to listen to other people's problems. <laughs> what's a mafia guy? Ah, they do this kind of uh, real estate gig that they uh, collect rents even from buildings they don't own. <laughs> and you know, but, but, but I guess for him, it was probably also the first time he... he met sexuality in his life if he came from the no, camps no no it no. was uh, okay. <laughs> yeah no 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 but 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 the idea is that for him like he didn't a uh, uh, he wasn't a customer of the prostitute he he hang out with them yeah he was in in, in the gang you know yeah yeah, yeah. so 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 the, the, I so I think that, that the entire thing was that he was like somebody who came from hell to a A pretty shitty and immoral place and compared to hell he purgatory a uh, purgatory on his way out of hell <laughs> yeah so so he kind of he felt that he got upgraded you know but I'm saying in hindsight he got to places that were better and hung up with people that were better <clears throat> but I think that there was so always something about his in his storytelling that kind of this feeling that he came from the bottom he came from the pit and that he really could uh, recognize and advocate for the humanity of all the people that he, that he had met, you know? So, so we could meet people that w- would be pure assholes and he would always find something positive to say about them that wasn't invented, that was real. Which is important for a storyteller, right? Because you've got to relate also to your villain to, cr- to write a good story. Uh, maybe it depends what what kind of story I uh, but 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 I uh, but for me I think that uh, that that when I write I want to humanize to human and to humanize I cannot uh, write characters that I alienate from so of, of course even if I have a villain I have to find something in me that I identify with him I must say that you know the last story I published in the US was in the New Yorker mm-hmm. it's a co- story called the uh, mitzvah Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically a story about a, a, a guy that uh, takes ecstasy uh, with his friend and they go to Tel Aviv Beach uh, to harass uh, women. You know, so he's not a nice guy. Yeah. But I think my job when I write a story is not to convince you that you should take ecstasy and go and harass women <laughs> in Tel Aviv, but the, the fact that he's unbearable and that if he would pick on your wife or girlfriend you would uh, punch him or lose it doesn't ch- uh, change the fact that he's a human being that has a narrative and a story and feelings and wants n- not to harm some people and misinterprets his action in a different way so I think that this kind of job of humanizing this kind of Hasidic thing mm-hmm. then I think it's a thing that I got from my dad but 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 I I, I seek it I seek it uh, both as a reader and a writer I think I think that that you know that let's say if I uh, uh, who is the politician that you hate the most in the Israeli Parliament Mirav Mikhaeli probably 
I was today in the bus and it was so packed and so unbearable and I was like I hate you Mirav Mikhaili okay. it's really hard to choose I'll just say that <laughs> but, but, but I'm saying let's say I don't know somebody else I don't know someone I really despise yeah wow you can go I, with the I, classics ah the delivery guys downstairs no 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 I'm saying no, from the politician it has to be from a the politician Mickey Zohar Yair Golan Miri Regev what's his name Bengvir who from um, from the joint list Abbas not Abbas the other one TB TB let's go with TB TB okay well, you're with two righties so yeah so I'm saying look, I'm saying you picked an Arab and a woman you know <laughs> So you, you, we're awful. No, no, no. no. So, we're two white privileged men. Yeah, no, no. So I'm saying, so you also advocate the identity politics, I understand. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we want equal representation. Yeah. We don't want to just have. I didn't go, want to go with the man. I wanted to go with the original. Diversify. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, but, but, but I'm saying that, that let's say, I, I think that, that if you want, you write a story. Uh, Eitan write a story about uh, TB and you write a story about uh, uh, Mirav Mikhaeli mm-hmm. then to write to write a good story uh, would be to write a story that in the end of it you have a feeling that you understand something about it about them or you get them and this is not uh, trivial you know I, I it's like I, I always uh, feel that you know the, I, I I always give this example of the fact that of a road rage, you know. I don't know. You guys get angry when you write, of course, oh, yeah. in Israel. So so you know the situation when somebody kind of uh, cuts you off, cuts you off, and then you stay and you stay in a in a stoplight, and then you say, "Hey asshole, like where did where did you learn uh, how to drive in Rami Rami Levy supermarket? <laughs> you know, hey, are you?" And then you say, "Hey, Tamir." <laughs> <laughs> it's you oh my god oh my so uh, how have you been bro uh, yeah how is Shifra ah yeah <laughs> and then and in this moment the, the the fact that the guy had cut you is got into perspective because he's a nice guy and you were in basic training together and he's really 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 good in remembering Eurovision winners and uh, and he cut you yeah he cut you but the idea is that you know that when uh, when you started this, he only the only thing you knew about him is that he was this guy who cut pe- yeah. cut people on the road. And I'm saying that if you write a story about Mirav Mikhaeli and if you write a story about Ahmed Tibi, then it would a- either be like a bad Facebook post where you're saying, oh, oh, this guy, this guy, this girl, this. Or it would be something that when you read it in the, in the end, you basically feel something. You acknowledge the fact that the human that they do what they think is right that if they have some kind of a mistake you know it's really what was the character that was the hardest for you to relate to that you wrote uh, the character well I think that the guy from the New Yorker story was pretty tough to relate to you know and again you know you might also get attacked for writing such a a yeah you know you're legitimizing uh sexual harassment yeah so oh. so i'm so i, I i'm not but <laughs> i thought you meant yeah. from like the union of sexual <laughs> harassers <laughs> no no but, but 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 again but 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 i think that it's not fair to represent <laughs> us like that <laughs> no it, it, the, the, the thing is is that when you say you might be get attacked you're right because the reason that i might get attacked is because i i dwell in the 
in a realm of uh, ambiguity and obscurity. Now, I mean, if I wrote a story about police trying to track a sexual harasser and in the end they shoot him, I wouldn't get into any trouble. No. But if I write a story about a guy who's a real asshole and does nasty things, but he actually wants to be a nice guy and he actually does some nice, guy, nice things, then, then, you know, then, of course, everybody can, can mistake it to what he doesn't like. You know, it's like, I mean, then people can say you're legitimizing harassment or people would say, I don't know, you, you take a young Israeli kids and you portray them as if they are monsters. You know, it, you can take it from, from any direction that you want. But, but the best way to avoid the being attacked is to, be, to, to, be sim- to simplify things. If you are very, very simple and if there is no uh, layers to what you do, then you never get into trouble. You were mentioning before the recording that you got, you're going to do a, um, uh, a piece in, in a museum or a, an exhibition about your mother. About my mom, yeah. I, I, about two years ago, I've lost my mom. Uh, three years ago, you know. Uh, and, uh, and the thing is that when my dad died 10 years ago, I wrote a book about him uh, called The Seven Good Years. And it's a, basically... An, a non-fiction book about uh, this idea of what it takes to be a son to a father or, and a father to a son. And it's about my father and my son. And it talks about m- my father all the, all the way to his death, you know, through his illness and stuff. And when my mom died, I kind of, uh, I wanted to write a book about her too. And I realized that I can't. Uh, I think that there was something much more uh, complex w- in my mom. And also that my mom, uh, uh, as much as I was close to my father, my mom was the person I was closest to in the universe. And she was v- super weird, not weird, but unique character. Also a survivor. Also a survivor. Now, the story of my mother is basically that by the end of the war, every, per- every human being that she knew before the war died. Her father, her mother, her brother, her grandfather, her uncle, her next door neighbor, all of them died. So what happened, was, and, and she, uh, when the war started, she was five years old. So basically she survived on her own, and she finished the war when she was about 11 or 12 years old. And she continued her life, you know, going to an orphanage in Poland that is very much kind of like a Charles Dickens orphanage kind of, you know. Any. Or any softcore, I would <laughs> okay. say, you know. So, so she went to an orphanage where she would meet all kinds of grown-ups that their interests was, were not her interests, and she kept on living her life. And she never kind of grew, went up through this idea that you grow up, you become a teenager, you fight with your parents, you take their car, you know. She wasn't there. Like she was a child. She survived as a child. She grew up. She had some kind of a personal history that was a history of, of a child in that sense that uh, she didn't know in what which date they switched from one ghetto to another. She didn't know uh, what stage w- this was in the war. She didn't know if the guy that shot her mother was an SS officer or just a German troop, troop soldier. She kind of, she had a lot of emotion and thought and things in her mind and from from them she she kind of built her own historiography 
and continued onward. And in, in a sense, she, she was uh, like, uh, all her life, she stayed a child because she didn't go through processes. And, and, uh, and in, in a strange way, she, I think she taught, my she taught my brother and my sister and me uh, to defy any kind of authority. Because for her, the authorities that she met were not the authority of a parent who loves you. But it was the authority was a system that tries to screw you. So, for example, my mom was all for us not going to school. You know, wow. we, I mean, not, not like we had a rule in our homes that if it rains, we don't go to school. Because she said, with all due respect, they don't teach you something important enough to get wet for. You know, <laughs> so, so it was, so there was something, it was really like the, the tips that you would give it me to life were if you were lived in the UK you you, you would drop school immediately <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. no I, I missed it many many days yeah. and <laughs> I didn't need any reason to if I would say I, I want to go somewhere else my mom said would, sure, would wow. say sure but 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 the, the thing is that whenever she would want to share with us her worldview then basically it was a worldview uh, of a, a a little girl uh, who survived and the, who who basically set her goals and moved towards them. So, so for my my mother, for example, the idea was, if you want something, go get it. You know, if you have to drop school for that, it's okay. If we need to sell our apartment and take a loan, that's fine. You want something, you go get no it. No fear. No, no, no fear, and basically, for sure, no fears that things will be taken from you because everything was taken for yeah. her and she Not, still survived. Yeah. And 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 I feel and I feel that there was something and and the and she was like kind of a fighter. She there was something that could be very aggressive with her if you if you Have you ever witnessed like a scene where she was blowing up? So I tell you I don't know, a sad one, a funny one, but my dad when my dad was in the last day of his life he was in a hospital and uh, they put him in the bed closest to the window. It's like, it's a room that has uh, six beds. And at some stage, he was alone in the room. N not because they freed a lot of patients. And my father, all the time, uh, he would smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. He died from a smoker's cancer. And he kept smoking till his last day. And, and, the, and the thing was is, is that a he would go go outside and smoke, but in the last two or three weeks of his life, he was unable to get out of bed. So my mother put her the bed closed. She would open the window. She would put the curtain. She closed the door, and he'd smoke. You know, and you're not allowed to smoke. In yeah. So <laughs> my in the cancer ward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially, it's a bad, sets a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 the thing is that uh, my mom. Uh, uh, and my mom was really like a lady, you know, like very kind of fine and sp very educated in her speech. And she would speak uh, six languages with no accent. Like all of them, like she, wow. French people would think she's French. Uh, Americans would think that she's someplace near England, but they would know that, wouldn't think that she's a second language. She was very, very impressive. And uh, one day when, when my father was smoking, then uh, a, 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 a woman comes and, and knocks on the door and my mom opens the door and she said, tell me by any chance is, 
is somebody smoking here? And my mom said, no. And she said, eh, you sure nobody's smoking here? And my mom I said, you know, it's the room. My husband is here. Like, I wouldn't let anybody smoke next to my husband. He's not well. So the woman said, okay. And she left. And uh, after a few minutes, she knocks on the door again. And she said, look, I've, I've been going all around. And, and the only place that there is a smell of smoke, it's really from this room. You're 100% sure nobody's sm smoking here. And she said, lady, listen, I, nobody's smoking here. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. You have to check again. And, and then the woman left. And, you know, and all this time, my father is chain smoking, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then there is a third knock. And my mother opens the door. And the woman stands there and uh, says to my mother, I know that there's somebody smoking you. There's no other way. You understand? There must be somebody smoking you. I want to go and check the room and see that nobody's smoking here. And my mother looked at her and said to her, go to hell. And slammed the door in her <laughs> face. And the, she didn't open it again. Wow. You know. <laughs> and this is like, this is classic mom. Like, I mean, there are many <laughs> classic moms. But, but this idea of kind of a aggressions that can come from a place you know mm -hmm. and uh, and also this almost childlike feeling of uh, omnipotence you know it's like when i was uh, when i was five years old i became a vegetarian there was no vegetarian food in israel my mom said maybe you were the first one in israel <laughs> the, i i i'm not I, i don't think i was the first one but uh, but i'm saying that you know that, that if you think about it the early 70s nobody in the world You barely had food anyways. So yeah, like. yeah. So it was really like, and my mom was very, very worried about that. And she said, I'm going to create a, a meat replacement. Wow. Uh, so I will feel that you also kind of eat something that is sustainable. And she went to, to Jerusalem and she started hanging out with all, all, looking for all kinds of Haredic guys. And she found this uh, Haredic vegan guy that gave her something that looks like dog food and she started experimenting with it and uh, she cre she created something that uh, uh, was the uh, vegan equivalent of a spaghetti bolognese mm -hmm. that in hebrew it was called spaghetti kmolonez <laughs> uh, and the and then and this, the thing that she used was called the stuff and she would freeze the it stuff. Like, <laughs> It was called stuff, and and the thing was that when you when nobody I, knew what it's made of. Uh, I I kind of knew, but it was very complicated, Vague. and and Cat. it wasn't like you know, it wasn't like kind <laughs> of beyond level. It was yeah. very, but but it was kind of out of the blue. Nobody knew about this kind of idea of meat replacement or whatever. And the thing was that I grew up in in a neighborhood, and one day a, a kid came to visit me, and they, and. She said, I made uh, some pasta for Edgar. You want to try it? And said, yes. And then he tasted it. And it had a taste. It w didn't taste like meat. It, taste, it had a taste of its own. And the kid was amazed. And he said, what is this? And she says, this is the stuff. And she said, where, where do they serve it? She said, only here. And, she <laughs> said, and I said, but I don't know. In other countries, she said, only here. And then what happened was that there was this trend the kids from my neighborhood, some of them were not my friends, was, were trying to bribe me so I'll come home with them for lunch so they get to taste the stuff. <laughs> 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 He became the most popular kid uh, in the... 
Yeah, among, among people who are into culinary, weird culinary adventures, <laughs> it wasn't, you know. It wasn't because it was so delicious, just because it was unique? No, I think it, it's super delicious. Ah, okay. It's super delicious. It, 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 the recipe died with my mom, you okay. know. But it's super delicious, really, 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 very, very good. Uh, but, uh, but apart from that, it was really like a fruit that has no name, you mm-hmm. know. It's really like... Exotic. Yeah. And what's wow. the exhibition? So then? so really the the exhibition is that because my mom would retell her I, I call the exhibition inside out. No, like the sushi. But what 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 I claim is that as grown ups we experience history from outside in. For example, if you want to tell me a story, you you say on the year 2017 I was a Going to Alabama, you know, to visit Ethan's family, and it was just when Donald Trump did this and that, and na 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 na. It was June, and then you say, and then I saw a man, but when you were a child, you would just say, a big guy with a black coat entered, and you know, and lifted me in his arm, and he put me up, and and it's really, it's a. It's some kind of a, a perspective that is a, is that is more in the moment and in the emotions and the feelings and and the experience, which is by the way the way that I write my stories very much. So so I I try to tell the story of my mom the way that my mom told me the story of her family. So when you go there, there will be all kind of exhibits based on text. You know there will be text. But the, the idea is that when you finish the exhibit, for example, I, f- I think that you feel intimate with my mother, but you will not know her name, you will not know her parents' name, you will not know which city she came from. You know, you would just kind of have like those glimpses, kind of, glimpses of, of humanity. And, and you know, and, and basically it's kind of retelling specific stories from our life and from my memory and those stories, at least for me, are very, very powerful. And where is the exhibition going to be? In the Jewish Museum in Berlin. Okay. Because we have listeners in Germany. Okay. And when is it uh, due? Uh, late October. Okay. Do we have time for... Well, yeah, I was yeah. going to ask, what what else is on, uh, on the agenda, on the, on the menu for Edgar uh, Well... Uh, what am I doing? What am I doing? I have to, uh, to remember. Uh, I, basically, I'm working uh, on a new book that will come out, uh, I think, uh, next year. And uh, and apart from that, uh, I I'm doing a little bit kind of a film and TV project, but uh, more kind of like a, a rewriting synopsis from source material and stuff. Like that, it's not really like that. I have a project that I'm sitting and writing it and end to end. Okay, and maybe last question that I have to ask you: If you could tell us, because you were saying that your father told you stories before yeah. bedtime, could you? Is there a, like one very memorable story that you could tell us that he told you? Oh, the, the, there were many. It's like I mean, because it was so many years. Ago, I remember it kind of as moments so or scene. So one of the stories that he told me is that there were uh, two guys, two brothers, that they would always uh, come and pick up fights because they like to fight. And uh, 
And then there was this other guy that was also kind of very, very shady figure that, that uh, was uh, considered uh, really, really tough. And this guy, he came to, the, to, to this, this place and it's a complicated story, but he had a fight with the brothers. And the way that my father described it, that they basically kept punching each other and punching each other and punching each other. And they were so tough that they basically, you know, they would fall down, get up and fall down, get up. And, and at some stage, the owners said to them, listen, we want to close down. You know, <laughs> we want to really like you've been fighting here for three hours and and we really like we need to go. We need to luck. And uh, and uh, then one of the brothers said, OK, OK, listen, guys, we're not getting anywhere. And then there was a piano. So he said, I say each of us uh, will break one leg of the piano. And if we hit each other with the leg of the piano, somebody's gonna fall. And they broke the legs of the piano. They hit, started eating each other. The guy fell. They said to him, "Haha, you you fell. You lost your consciousness." He said, "Oh, guy, okay, guys, you're tougher." They high fived and went home. Like these kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> but but you now know, go to sleep. <laughs> sounds like a Calabria bar. Or or or, or kind of a I don't know a. a a guy that had a, a like a, a, a horse in a crate, mm -hmm. and he uh, all the time uh, he would go through some kind of a street there, and then one day somebody uh, put a, a road sign that you can't go there with horses, and this guy would go around town and he would be really annoyed because he would say, "I never saw such a sign," and why do what? Why, what do they have against horses? Why it's so specific? You know, it's like, <laughs> why you can go on bicycle, but you can go with a horse. What do they have against the horse? And he got really, really uh, obsessive about it. And in the end, uh, he came uh, with an ax and he chopped down the, the, the pole of the road sign. <laughs> what kind of, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> and in the end, wow. my, in, 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 in the end uh, my father would say, but don't judge him. He was a good father. He always like, oh, he always <laughs> took good care of the horse. Don't judge him. He had a tough child. <laughs> so it would always like, like I would be five year old and he say, ah, yeah. And then this guy said, okay, okay. Then it's fine with me. Uh, what's that? And when the other guy turned him back, he hit him on the head with a chair. And while he was bleeding, he was burning down uh, the living room. But don't judge him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but no, the truth is that, that the way that he would tell the story, it would be was very humanizing and very. Convincing. Was it engaging? You remember being like hypnotized by it, like. Uh... Yeah, it's funny because I come from a family of storytellers, basically. So my mom's stories, they would be more like kind of fantasy and fairy tale and made up, and my father's stories were documentary, Just true crime scenes, <laughs> and. Uh, and my uh, sister would also tell crazy stories that would be very fast, like, you know, very, very extreme, very, very weird. Wow. And uh, would you say, because there's this thing in Israel where second generation make movies about how fucked up they are, how bad their lives were because of their f uh, parents' trauma. Do you feel you're fucked up by your parents or... First, do you I have a grudge. I, 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 first of all, or do I, you feel they're fucked up by you? <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> no, no. So, so, so first, first of all, I, I think it's a given. You know that I mean that if you grow up 
in any family is that you you get fucked up by your family because this is the process of life you know it's like i don't know it's like you pack flakes conflicts in a in a conflicts box and and you grow up fucked up you know it's really it's the process <laughs> but but what i want to say about my parents that i think that the relationship that i had with them is not a standard child mm-hmm. parent relationship i often you you used to say that we were not a family we were a group of partisan partisans hiding in the forests of ramadgan because the thing is that with both my parents not having a normal childhood then the kind of a a community that they built with us wasn't a normal family you know so 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 i'm saying in, in this kind of sense that uh, other things that uh, that uh, i don't know uh, that my parents could have done otherwise i don't know my mom for example would never let me in the ki- kitchen you know so i think it would have been nice if she she would help me more let me help with chores and learn more stuff but in the bottom line you know i i lived in a family where everybody loved each other and everybody was willing to do everything for each other and everybody was a unique and a character and nobody was boring then it sounds like a good deal that was so much fun thank <laughs> you so much for coming and uh your thank substack you. your mailing list how can people uh, subscribe uh, yeah it, it's called alphabet super it's, it's on substack so i bet if i don't know maybe you yeah we'll put a link But you have also a website, I think, right? I have a website, yeah. Uh, my brother does that. Ah, he did next a website. Sh- next, next show, I'll speak about my brother. Okay. Uh, Who had started the, the legalized marijuana movement. Really? Yeah. It's still there, it still him. didn't happen. It's, all, it's always... Uh, no, yeah, but, but I, a... I, I give him, let's say, some credit of the fact that there is medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. Wow. Which his kid brother smokes after... having a car accident so i always wow. to my brother <laughs> um and now with the back pain the, the 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 with the back pain you won't get a prescription uh no i get i have a prescription oh, oh. okay well, there you go that's that's or that's from the broken ribs you know ah, from a car I, accident uh, yeah okay. since then i i broke my nose and had a concussion and the you keep <laughs> breaking ones to renew the prescription it's a, i'm like a i don't know wme <laughs> fighter it's basically i'm a writer you know i usually don't go further than my bathroom and every year i don't know i fall manage to down some stairs yeah and uh your books in english or on amazon on a kindle yeah yeah ev- everywhere yeah okay. come on yeah okay. if okay. you look you'll find them okay <laughs> so uh we'll put links thank you so much for coming guys thanks for thanks. listening uh please support us on patreon and rate us on spotify and rate us on spotify and see you in the next one thank you so much thank Let's you bye, bye guys. guys bye